in the world of freedom. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Berliner. This is Radio Goethe Magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe Magazine. I'm Arndt Pelton. In today's show we're talking about wine. I have an interview with a German winemaker in Sonoma County, California. So stay tuned. Walter Schuch recently retired from his job as a windner in Sonoma County, but the love for wine is still there and so he can't really split. And of course, his vineyard stayed in the family and Walter Schuch knows best what a good wine should taste like. I met him at the winery where he showed me around and we sat down in the wine cellar for a long conversation about his life, his dreams and winemaking. Well, it was my interest in wines of the world uh, that... Uh, caused me to accept an invitation in 1959 to come over to California for a year on a temporary visa. I found it very interesting uh, from two standpoints. Number one, the wine was average, but what I found interesting was that uh, it looked like it could be significantly improved because of the conditions, weathers, soils, etc. So it was just a matter of trying. But what made this over here in Sonoma County so special for you? Well, I like challenges and, and I, I also like to look across the border. And uh, it, uh, I, I got an invitation to then come over permanently and because California and all of America was uh, still rebuilding the name for wine, which had been destroyed by prohibition and uh, poor winemaking. And as a result of that, uh, there were very, very few trained people uh, because it was believed to be a dead-end industry. And uh, so, Winemakers with experience, uh, winemakers with the appropriate training, uh, winemakers who were also viticulturists uh, were hard to find. And uh, so that gave me an immediate start and an invitation to take over a major job if I so chose to immigrate and uh, accepted that challenge. You and your wife came from wine families in Germany. You have a long history. How did people react when you told them you're going over to California to grow wine? At that time, the California wine industry was not well known. Oh, you mean the people over in Germany? Germany. Yeah, uh, including our relatives. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we both grew up on wineries that our fathers um, managed but did not own, so there was no property that was holding us back. Uh, yes, we could have uh, assumed the positions that our parents held, uh, the like, and uh, or accept uh, a leading position someplace else, but I liked challenges, I liked opportunities, I also liked the, the freedom to operate, uh, elbow freiheit, 
Um, and uh, whereas in, in, in Germany, I, I, I felt a little uh, handicapped. Uh, you were always looking over your shoulder to make sure that uh, people weren't laughing if you tried to do something new. Um, and uh, so, yes, I, I, I literally did it because of the challenge. In the mid-70s, suddenly the wine industry boomed in California. California wine was cherished and appreciated. How was the situation before that? Well, in order to get started, I had to accept uh, conditions as they were. And you had to look around to see where you could make improvements. Uh, and improvements also involved the marketing. You, you, can, you could have made some incredible wines and had no market for them. So you had to take that into consideration. So, and you needed the backing of your employer or investor uh, who maybe agreed with you and said that's a challenge we are willing to take on. And so it took a little while. You know, at first the wine was uh, shipped to the East Coast in, in bulk containers on rail and Uh, bottled at the site where it was going to be marketed uh, under some strange labels. Um, and uh, ultimately, wineries decided to bottle their own wine, market it under their own label of origin, and thereby beginning to build a brand of their own uh, for which they became uh, ultimately uh, famous. And That, of course, then uh, required uh, marketing skill uh, because now you had to market your own product when before your wine was marketed by somebody else who bought it from you in bulk. Uh, so it was not just a matter of uh, offering the public uh, something better or something unique, but this whole thing had to be built from scratch. And what happened in the mid-70s that California wine finally was recognized as great wine? No, it, it was uh, the, the, the uh, cooperation between those of us who knew how and didn't have the money to accomplish what our dreams were and investors who uh, liked wine and agreed with our plans. And I know of many instances where ultimately then incredible wines resulted that uh, had to be then introduced on the market and find enough people to appreciate the difference in quality, get some backing by certain wine critics or wine writers uh, to praise them. And uh, you've got to remember that uh, Americans were not used to, in general, were not used to these kind of wines. Uh, they had to begin to learn what makes a wine superior to a, a different wine. And as a result, why does that wine cost more? Is it rarer or is it indeed better that it uh, deserves to cost more? Um, so all of that uh, had to play a role in this. What makes this area special for you? Is it a dream come true? Well, my dream 
was formed over the years, uh, harking back to where I came from. Uh, I made many, many interesting wines for wineries that I worked for. Uh, but I had very little opportunity to make good Pinot Noir. And uh, there were several reasons. Uh, number one, the market wasn't there for it. Uh, number two, there weren't, weren't very many uh, vineyards uh, and locations where fine Pinot Noir was grown. And uh, so one had to be actually very stubborn to pursue something like that, especially when you knew it was a hard sell. And there was a time where we called ourselves a Pinot Noir house, but made twice as much Chardonnay to pay for the hobby. Um, this has totally changed. Now we're making three times as much Pinot Noir as we make Chardonnay. So Pinot Noir has ultimately won out, but it took a lot of uh, hard-headedness and uh, belief and of course make a good wine, uh, to say it will come, it will come, and it did come, it is here. You have been in Sonoma County for quite a while. How did the wine industry change here? Well, when I came to Northern California, which is uh, along with uh, some areas along the south coast, uh, the most renowned uh, wine region in America, uh, <clears throat> I knew this area because of its climate and its uh, variation of soils would ultimately make fine wines. And there were examples there, but uh, they were drowned out by the desire to make uh, um, gallon bottle wines back in the 60s. And uh, so we just had to learn by trial and error, and of course by experience, where certain grape varieties would excel under what climatic conditions, under what soil types. Uh, we have such great variation, in, especially in Sonoma County, which is influenced both by the inland climate and by the Pacific Ocean. Uh, so you have these two types of climates uh, clashing with each other, uh, but at the same time creating unique areas in uh, pockets of uh, behind a mountain or something like that, that all of a sudden within five miles you're in a totally different uh, location, totally different climate, which uh, may be a disaster for a Cabernet Sauvignon, but perfectly ideal for a Riesling or a Pinot Noir, and vice versa. Uh, for instance, we're getting all our Cabernet Sauvignon from the top of the mountain because uh, they don't have any fog up there. It needs more sunshine. So while we are still down here in the fog until 10 o'clock in the morning until the fog burns off, which helps protect the finesse of the Pinot Noir, uh, a superb Cabernet Sauvignon is growing on top of the mountain where we have a vineyard under contract. Looking a little bit around up here in the wine country, one comes across many German names. What role did German immigrants play in the wine industry? Uh, well, all of Northern California had uh, a large population of uh, German vintners, uh, you know, 
that came over back even during the gold rush days, uh, when uh, many, many people, either due to uh, um, poverty or due to the uh, call of the gold, uh, came to California and uh, sought a better life. And amongst them were also vintners from uh, Germany and Italy and France, uh, who after a while said, you know, all these gold diggers are thirsty and I'm not really used to gold digging. I know how to make wine. I'm going to start making wine for these gold diggers. And uh, so that started a lot of uh, uh, wineries under uh, foreign uh, ownership or by foreigners who came over to this country. And you can still see that in some of the old names uh, that are no longer owned by the heirs who founded it, but uh, still carry the name. For instance, take Beringer, uh, came from Rheinhessen. Uh, so, so did uh, Schramm, whose winery is now called Tramsburg. Um, so did uh, Grimm, he also came from Rheinhessen. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, uh, that winery is now called uh, Storybook, after Grimm's fairy tales, okay? Um, and so there, there are an, an enormous amount of uh, wineries over here that hark back to these pioneers who came over to start something. We're not able to see it through prohibition. Uh, there were hundreds of wineries and thousands of acres that entered prohibition and then uh, wine could no longer be made unless it was just for uh, the church uh, and so forth. Of course, uh, uh, there was always a little wine made on the on the side and, and shipped by uh, under fog by night. Uh, but uh, what resulted was a total breakdown in the quality of the product and the growers, in order to stay in business, uh, started to ship grapes to the East Coast. Uh, where all the uh, thousands and millions of immigrants uh, refused to give up on their favorite beverage. So they started to make wine at home. Uh, they made it in the bathtub. Uh, some were successful with it, uh, some did a poor job, which ultimately you know, gave these types of wines the name of Dago Red and everything else. That brought the image of wine down even further to the point where if a drunk person was found with a, a bag in his hand in the gutter, he was referred to as a wino when it was nothing but a bottle of whiskey in his bag. Uh, that's how low uh, things uh, sunk. And for us, for us here to make a recovery out of that, it took an enormous amount of uh, work and belief and uh, hope that it will turn around if we not only furnish a good product, but also convince the consumer that wine is actually a wonderful beverage if uh, consumed in moderation 
and it's not a source of uh, cheap intoxication. It looks like you have done very well over here, but would you do it again if you had to make the same decision to leave your home in Germany? Would I do it again? <laughs> uh, well, you know, we, uh, we didn't own any land in Germany that we, you know, from an inherited standpoint, there was nothing holding us back. It was simply the family ties that was kind of sad, especially in the beginning when uh, uh, it, it was more difficult to go back and forth than it is today. And also when you're still a growing family, you didn't have the financial wherewithal uh, to visit your dear relatives back and forth. Uh, but uh, I still think I would do something similar because I like challenges and uh, this gave me an, a, really an opportunity uh, to not only do a good job as a manager of the company as you are expected to and follow the footsteps of your forebears but also create something new try something that nobody else has tried before. That, that's what I find exciting. And uh, since this industry was uh, so downtrodden and so run down, and, and yet it had all the potential, all the soils and all the different microclimates that you can imagine, it was uh, exciting to have been able to participate in it and ultimately wind up with your own winery. Our frog. Looking back, would you have done something different? Well, if I had stayed with my last employer, I might have less gray hair <laughs> because it was a real challenge to uh, for my wife and myself uh, to raise three children. Put them through university and uh, establish your own brand from nothing, from scratch, uh, to where we are today. You know, it's very typical in, in established wine regions of the world, whether that be Italy or Germany or Austria or France, uh, you, you take over the profession of your parents, uh, you ultimately inherit the vineyards of your parents and the winery of your parents or your uncle or your grandfather. And yes, you, you make a few improvements, uh, bring things, certain things up to date, but you don't have to start from scratch. It's already there. And you don't have to invest in acquisition of land, uh, building the buildings to make the wine in plant the vineyards from scratch. In the meantime, buy grapes from other people. All of that are in immense investments that haunt you for decades after you started because you're still having to pay it down besides the cost of making the product. And that's what makes it so hard to compete with uh, the wines of the world which exactly come from uh, establishments that have been around for some of them for almost a thousand years. 
where only minor improvements over the years had to be made, but they were already there. Uh, so it, 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 it took a lot of uh, entrepreneurship and a lot of uh, hard work to accomplish what we and others like us have accomplished over here. Uh, you know, st starting with looking for the right piece of land, ultimately uh, putting a bid on it, and then uh, bringing it to fruition and in hopes that the grape varieties one chose and the rootstock one chose were the right one for that location uh, and uh, to ultimately see the success in the bottle that you then bring to market. After all, we are dealing with an agricultural product. It's not engineered. It's not as easy as uh, uh, just buying a new tool in order to make a new product. I like a good glass of wine. I enjoy it very much. Sometimes reading wine reviews, I have no idea what people are talking about. You as a wine grower and maker, what is wine for you? Is it an art form or just a beverage or? Well, we are, uh, since we grew up with it, we're a little more realistic. Uh, I know there is a lot uh, to, to do about it and uh, out there, uh, some people go a little over the board of uh, uh, making it appear too sophisticated, so sophisticated that people even shy away from it because they don't want to appear silly. You know the old story where they say we're get, having guests tonight and I don't know whether to serve a white or a red with the meat that we have tonight. Well. Why don't we use a rosé? Then we can't make a mistake. You know, that, that's what we're facing, and especially in a nation like America, where wine had to be reintroduced as a everyday beverage. Uh, everybody thought, oh, we only serve wine at a festive occasion, and we still have a lot of this going on with uh, sparkling wine, you know, with champagne where people think, oh, you can't drink that like this. You've got to have an occasion. Uh, so breaking down that barrier is very hard because even the publications and some of the wine writers uh, did not assist us in that. They you know, wrote such uh, sophisticated evaluations of the wines that they tasted that people said, oh, that's a complicated wine, I better not drink that <laughs> because I don't understand it. I don't understand what they're talking about. So it actually, uh, people shied away from it. We, we tell them, first of all, in today's uh, wine marketing world, no matter where they come from, uh, it's almost impossible to find a bad wine. So it just comes down to tasting one in order to learn whether it's your style, whether you like it. That doesn't make it bad if you don't like it, it's just not your style. Uh, and it, it gradually you will find out which one of these wines might pair better with what you're about to serve. You know, whether you're going to have 
a duck tonight or uh, or some dark meat or no meat at all uh, gradually you begin to understand why one wine goes better than the other but even at that uh, it's it's not a, a big error or one doesn't have to be ashamed of uh, drinking a wine that you like even if they say well, that's not the wine one would normally serve with that kind of food. After all, you're the one who's enjoying it. Let the others do the talking. What does it mean personally for you? I mean, you grow the grapes. Well, I, I still respect it, though, because I make it and I don't, just don't guzzle it down. Uh, it, 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 it starts already with the way I open a bottle. You know, you don't rip off the cap. You you take your knife and cut it off. Uh, and uh, uh, you you don't take a bottle of wine and stick it in your mouth and drink it. You know, it's it's uh, it's these kinds of little things. Of course, you know, when when you're on a, a 20 mile hike and at the end you reached your goal on on top of the mountain and you want to celebrate that uh, with uh, opening up a nice bottle of wine, well, there's nothing wrong with sticking that bottle in your mouth. You earned it. <laughs> so uh, I, I think there's something to be said for every beverage. Uh, there's no occasion where one is more appropriate than the other. Uh, when we have a hard day's work and we come home, uh, maybe a, a, a glass of wine or a bottle of wine is, is uh, too much alcohol for the moment. Uh, maybe a, a glass of beer will refresh you more and then ultimately with the dinner you have a bottle of wine. Uh, so there, there's, a, there's an occasion for everything, but uh, I continue to treat wine with, with respect, but not to the point where you, you make it so sophisticated that you know, only the learned uh, should dare touch it. Uh, that's a bunch of malarkey. I talked to Walter Schuch of Schuch Vineyards. You can find them online at schuchwinery.com. There was today's Radio Goethe magazine. Thanks for listening and please find us and our free podcast online at radiogoethe.org. I'm Arndt Peltner. It's not the red of the dying sun The morning sheets surprising stain It's not the red of which we bleed The red of Cabernet Sauvignon, a world of ruby, all in vain. It's not that red, it's not that red, it's not that red, it's not that red. It's not as golden as Zeus' famous shower, it doesn't not at all. It's not as golden 
Suits you well. 